Welcome to Life Beyond Thinking. My name is Rob DePinto and I'm the author and creator of Life Beyond Thinking. This episode, we're going to talk about part two, a visual guide to mindfulness. And this is an audio recording of a presentation that I gave in 2020. So if you haven't, if you've joined us for the first time, I recommend you go back to the first, to the last episode, listen to part one. So in this podcast, we're going to cover obsessive thinking, homelessness and other people's lives, why we suffer. We're going to look at fear, anxiety, resentment, regret. We're going to look at triggers that we encounter every day and disconnection and our addictions that come from that disconnection. So this audio recording, again, was a presentation that I gave in 2020, so it does follow some visuals, but all of the concepts should be very familiar and it walks you through where our mind goes, how we get attached to things and why that causes suffering. So um, please enjoy. If you have any tips, feedback, suggestions, we would love to hear them. You can email us at contact at lifebeyondthinking.com or leave a message on um, Spotify, I believe you can. And uh, if you want a free copy of these visuals or an intro, you can go to lifebeyondthinking.com and you'll see the download section there for a free version of this. Thanks so much and enjoy. Unit two, obsessive thinking and being homeless in other people's lives. So let's look at obsessive thinking. So when these thoughts take us into the past and into the future, we lose presence. We miss that slice of life. We literally don't exist much and we miss an opportunity to connect, to create and to be. So when we replay the thought, what are we really trying to figure out? Is it about a past situation? Do we relive that thread and rework it and revisit it, diving in over and over and over, trying to find a new answer? Are we trying to make it different? Are we trying to pretend that past event didn't exist to create a different outcome? Or are we trying to change the past? Are we trying to convince ourselves that it didn't happen or we were right or we weren't responsible? Believing we'll find a new answer that changes something. And I do believe this is what we're doing when we actually go back into these thoughts. We're looking for a different outcome. We're looking for something that's going to make that event either not happen or happen in a different way. And I believe deep down we know. We know something needs to be resolved, but we don't know what or how. And as you can see, we revisit a thread, a story, that thread gets stronger and the grooves get deeper. And the more we replay each story, the stronger that thread gets. Things can get heavier on the inside and they get heavier on the outside. So as the grooves deepen and they get stronger, they become easier to access so we can spend more time out of the present moment. And when I say easier to access, when the thought comes, we can grab onto it very quickly and we go down that rabbit hole. And that energy is diverted into the past and into the future. And when we're in this state, so much of our energy and emotion is directed elsewhere. For the people around us, they might physically see us, but we're not really there. So when we're in this state, we may feel unseen, unheard, and not noticed by the outside world. And that outside world just moves around as if we're not there. We feel like we don't exist because mentally we're not there. And it's a double-edged sword. This is really important because to the outsider that might be standing there that really needs us, we're, 
we're not present. We're in our own world. And therefore, the outsider that needs us, they feel invisible. They feel unseen. They feel not noticed and unworthy. The outsider feels like they don't exist. So everything is a mirror. It's the start of introducing this concept, but everything is a mirror and everything has an alternate side. So when we do this to ourselves, we're actually doing it to others as well. And the arrows, as I've mentioned, are our energy. It's draining our vitality and our very existence. So when it flows into the past and the future, we have less energy in the present. And I believe it does connect to the idea of presence and existence. We're losing our presence. We're literally not existing. And if this is an internal will to not exist, are we really willing ourselves to physically not exist? Do our actions then follow a self-destructive behavior because we literally don't want to be here? So my hypothesis is that, you know, I'll ask the question, how many people are secretly killing themselves in plain sight with the behaviors, the addictions, the foods, you know, knowing it's an easy way out. It's long and it's slower, but they may not even know they're doing it. But is this what they're really doing? Because they don't want to be here and their body follows their mind and their actions follow their mind. But invariably, we pull ourselves together. We deploy more energy, more willpower to overcome. I'm going to be okay. It takes effort. It feels like we've broken free. We're bigger, taller, better, stronger. And then invariably, the threads are still there. We get exhausted. And you might find we have an emotional event. Pressure might build up and up and up. And then all of a sudden, there's a pop. And we have this emotional event. We give up. There's relief. We're feeling better. The threads melt a bit. And we're actually starting to feel okay. It's going to be okay. We start to come back to center. We start to kind of integrate when these threads drop. But invariably... (laughs) We think we're okay, so we get back up and off we go again. And we keep thinking and thinking and thinking. How many times have we done that? How many times have we had that pattern of more effort, more willpower, the words must, should, do, have to, only to have this cycle sort of build up, collapse, build up, collapse? It's exhausting. It's exhausting for us and it's exhausting for the people around us. And the implications are not just our own state, but those around us that need it, need us, as I've mentioned. So what happens when the thinking gets really obsessive? So as we get older, we can accumulate these traumas. If we don't heal them, we can accumulate these threads, these stories. And if we keep them alive, they're going to stay there and they're going to get strong. And sometimes they're running in the background. We're not conscious of them, but they're there. Quite often from childhood, the ones that are the most dug in because they've been there the longest and they've actually helped frame our life and others from just yesterday, they start to dig in and they're all running dormant, but they're there. They're waiting for a trigger to bring them to life. And I personally believe that for all the attachments that we've got on the left in the past, there's a mirror set of fantasies in the future. And I think they can be equal in number or they can be disproportionate. So, you know, this is where we get entrepreneurs and people deploying huge amounts of willpower, placing massive bets to build great things. And I think there's a lot of compensation 
in that belief that if I create this great thing, this one big thing, it's going to make me okay. It's going to compensate for all these little, you know, threads that keep pulling me apart in the past. And these things can feel our quest and our challenge for refinement and creative expression. And it's a desire to solve problems. It can be a desire to help people. You know, we can chase love or money. And, you know, the compensation for the trauma is what we're really seeking. However, it can be, you know, a risk. We can get goals and we can create things, but it may not fill us. So we get pulled further into the past and further into the future. We start to feel more separate, more worthless, more alone. We get sad, angry, desperate, lonely. And again, this is kind of the extreme case. And I start to kind of branch into and show you what this looks like. So, and desperate people do desperate things. They act out. We can get explosions of anger. Even the smallest thing can trigger people. They get internally overwhelmed and they act out. And anger is the base response. And we look at it a little bit later. It's a last resort. And perhaps it's the first option for people in this position because they're so exhausted. They've got nowhere else to go. So when we're like this, our worldview becomes distorted and we become more disconnected from reality. And we cope, some people cope by more potent remedies of alcohol, drugs, food abuse, addictions, whether it's gaming or all sorts of gambling. There are hundreds of addictions in our life and many are coping mechanisms to deal with this mental state. For some people, they hit rock bottom here. It takes us to a state of extreme despair and separation. And then we hit this rock bottom. And we can have a great life in many areas, but there might be one area where we struggle badly and eventually something just gets us to that bottom point and we say enough and we make a decision to change. And that's a bottom. And it's used properly. It can, if it's used properly, it can really elevate us far more than we can possibly imagine. But let's just pretend we keep going. And this is where we get into that mental angst, despair, guilt, shame, regret, paranoia. It just becomes our constant companion anxiety, stress, and depression. You know, we can even sort of manifest through constant job changes, running from city to city. And what you find is wherever you go, there you are. And it leads to psychosis, homelessness, institutions, and death for some people. It's extremely serious and the addictions absolutely kill people. And have you ever caught yourself talking to yourself where your thoughts start to come out loud? And in the extreme cases, you might see you know, a homeless person or, you know, what we would call a crazy person walking down the street, talking to themselves, having this conversation. I believe they're reliving the past or engaging in a future fantasy. And, you know, we say they're kind of out of their mind because they literally are. They're out of their minds. And our obsessive thinking pulls us out of our minds. So nostalgia. I actually find nostalgia to be really, really interesting. It was a Swiss physician coined the term in uh, 1688. And it was actually really around a wistful desire to return in thought or in fact to a former time in one's life, to be at one's home or homeland, to be in one's family or friends. And it was a sentimental yearning for the happiness of a former place or time. In short, it was homesickness, and it actually was not a good thing. 
being diagnosed with nostalgia was a mental disorder. And it actually, when you were diagnosed, if you had nostalgia, you had physical illness, you had physical manifestations. And I just think it was super interesting that 1688 is not actually that long ago. So before this term, it didn't exist. But then all of a sudden, conditions started to present themselves where people didn't want to be where they were. And in today's world, nostalgia is quite often used as a more positive term. But in actual fact, it's actually a mental you know, disorder or a diagnosis. Just really quickly, I want to talk about homelessness. And I uh, was on the board of a non-for-profit for some time that did a lot of work in homelessness. And their hypothesis was homelessness is caused by an unhealed trauma event and a lack of personal social infrastructure like that community in the African tribe, not necessarily government infrastructure, but um, personal social infrastructure to pick us up, to put us in the right direction, to take care of us when, you know, we have these traumatic shocks, whether it's a death, a sickness, you know, loss of a job, if we're actually just living paycheck to paycheck. So I mentioned this because the hypothesis was about unhealed trauma event, which really is that mental state that we talked about. And then also lack of social infrastructure, personal social infrastructure. And I feel with our mental thinking, we can actually become homeless in other people's lives. We're so busy with gossip or, you know, reaching in and stepping over boundaries and not having any because we're so afraid to face our own life. And it's an interesting concept for me that we can be homeless in other people's lives versus getting on with our own. And it's just something to reflect on. You know, do we stay in our own lane or are we spending all our time in other people's lanes? To me, it's a form of homelessness. So in summary, we've, we can see how obsession sends us out of our mind and it causes a downward spiral that's harder and harder to get out of, but it is recoverable from. And we can compensate with big bets or grand plans. And we can be homeless by hiding in other people's lives not minding our own business. So a couple of other tips, we can use the framework to observe a thread. Where does that thread take us? Into the past, into the future? Is it fantasy? Is it regret? And now this is a bit of a, a different exercise. It's three tasks. So for example, reading books. Read one book for 15 minutes, set a timer. As soon as that timer goes off, close the book. Pick the next book up, read it for 15 minutes, close the book. Read the next one for 15 minutes and close the book. This might seem somewhat abstract. And the point of this is it teaches us to turn our mind off and move to the next task. It teaches us to put our thoughts down, even if it's the best page, the most interesting page, and our obsession wants to finish the paragraph or the sentence or the page. Um, we should just close the book. And it also teaches us that the world's going to be okay if you close that book and you can move on to the next thing. It helps get us focused from one task to the next and it enables us to switch more effectively. And if you don't have 45 minutes, make it five minutes so you can do all three in 15 minutes. And if you don't have three books, pick three of your favorite social media apps. That will be a challenge for most of us. So it seems an abstract exercise, but if you do that, every day for a few weeks in a month, you'll be amazed by the number of books that you read because we're not repeat, you know, our mind is more present and we can absorb the material better.
and it will actually teach you some other things that will filter out into the rest of your day. So I strongly encourage you to do that. It's really, really interesting. So up next, why do we suffer? I'm going to touch on fear, anxiety, resentment, regret, and we're going to look at some triggers. Unit four, why we suffer, fear, anxiety, resentment, regret, and triggers. So the start of suffering is attachment. We can get attached to various aspects of these thoughts and we dive back in over and over. So let's look at the example of, I still can't believe we broke up and I can't get past it. It's about this event in the past. So which part of that thought keeps us hooked? Is it the resentment of the person involved or the people involved? And we just can't let that go. We can't let that resentment go. Is it the drama and the theatrics of talking about the event over and over again? We just get stuck in this pattern and it becomes our existence. It becomes our character. Or we just can't seem to shake the shame or the regret for what we've done or for what we've not done. Yet we keep diving back into this event, even if the emotions it brings up causes pain and suffering. And what about these other thoughts of self-talk and putting ourselves down? If I was only, you know, this, or if I was smarter or funnier, and then when we actually criticize and judge others, you know, those idiots on the road, no one can drive like me. And we carry these emotions into our, into other parts of our lives. So what are we, you know, what are we attached to? We can be attached to many different things in there, but it all causes problems and it all causes suffering. Just like in the future, you know, when I get that new bag, bike, phone, house, girlfriend, because then I'll be enough. It's when I get the thing that everything is going to be okay. We get attached to the idea that this thing, this outcome is going to make everything perfect. It's going to compensate for whatever it is that's hidden in our past or, you know, that we feel deficient in the present. So it can lead us to be control freaks, trying to control everyone and every little thing to make sure we get the exact thing, because we believe if we get that exact thing, it will make it all okay. And this attachment also generates fear and anxiety about getting it, and of course the incredible disappointment if we don't get it, and if we don't get it exactly how we want it. And again, it can be about, you know, a new job, money, career. And we can even just leap into the fantasy of someone else's life. Like I talked about, you know, being homeless in other people's stories. We spend so much time on Snapchat or Instagram and Facebook, just imagining and hoping if I can just be that, if I can have this magical life that someone else has, then I'll be okay. So... The pattern itself can also be an attachment. This becomes actually, it becomes the framework for most of our lives. And the important thing here is to see and to understand that attachments, these thoughts and what they connect to in the past or the future and the emotions they generate, this is what pulls us out of the past and it keeps us, sorry, this is what pulls us out of the present and keeps us that way. It pulls us apart. And those emotions have a huge impact on our life, which we look at later when we dive into repeated patterns. So observe them from an external reference point that you now have. Observe them without judging yourself and don't condemn yourself for having the thought. So if we 
observe these thoughts and our self-talk, we can start to see patterns. And if we can start to see patterns, we can start to transition past it and we get an understanding. And if we look at that pattern, typically the past is about resentment and regret and the future is about fear and anxiety. But what happens when life approaches? So this is where we're starting to look at triggers. You know, we've seen how thoughts can pull us automatically into the past or the future, but life is constantly happening. And so this is a little bit more of a framework to add. And life comes at us. It comes from above, metaphorically and metaphysically, if, um, if we really want to get into it. And it all flows to a point called now, because everything happens now. So it could be relationships, money, driving, family, social routine or social engagement. It could be work or food. It's incredibly complicated and incredibly diverse. Um, but we do encounter life now one moment at a time. And sometimes we'll encounter something we don't want to deal with. So we evade it by escaping into the future or the past. And we call these things triggers. They'll trigger adverse emotions. They'll trigger adverse actions. We pull up old stories, old hurts, traumas. Sometimes we don't even know why or how. They just come out. And it causes us to act out and do things out of context or in disproportion. And some of these triggers you know, they're anchored in a past event. So the hypothesis is, really, is it the trigger or is it the past event that creates the trigger? So if we actually heal the past event, would that thing even be a trigger anymore? Or would it dissolve? Would it be gone? And we can move past it. So just a quick piece of reflection. Reflect on your own life as you go about your day, your week. You know, what are the things that trigger us? Is it people? Is it places? Is it certain types of events? And when we do get triggered, when we do have these adverse reactions, what do we do? Do we reach for food or drugs or alcohol to numb? Do we run and hide and isolate? Or do we lash out in frustration and get angry? It's just about observing it. Again, doesn't matter what it is, just be honest and observe it. And it might seem, and it might actually start in one place. Like we might be angry at a part of our life secretly inside, and that will leak out into another part of our life. So like we have a typical example, we have a bad day at work, we go home and unleash it on the family, even though it's got nothing to do with them. And it's completely disconnected. So the past is about resentment and regret. The future is about fear and anxiety. And triggers can drive us to hide. Hide in the past, hide in the future, but they hide ourself. And they actually point to something that needs to be resolved. Because if the trigger gets... If the trigger is traced, potentially you can cure or resolve that trauma and the trigger no longer becomes a trigger. You can move past it. So observe your triggers and note them down. And what do you do when you're triggered? And the way out is to be all in. So if something is 
coming at you and you're distracted into the past or the future, the way out of that fear, if it's a fear-based thing, fear-based thing, is to be all in on the task that you're doing. And that actually brings us into the present and we get to contribute as much as we can and do one thing at a time. Quite often, you know, we talk about multitasking, but it just doesn't exist because we're pulled apart and we can't ever do anything properly. We can switch from one thing to the other more effectively, but we can't do two things at once. So just do one thing at a time and then move on to the next thing. Up next, we talk about disconnection and we look more at our addictions. Unit 5, Disconnection and Our Addictions. Feeling separate and unworthy. So there we are, on the left, in the past. It's another way to look at the same model. Looking at the world, at them, the rest of the world, where there seems to have more connection, more fun, more abundance. They seem to have this rule book this way of being that I just, you know, that we just never had. They seem to have their act together and they've got it all figured out. So we feel like we're on the outside looking in. And in the future, it's the same perspective. We can feel like we're on the outside looking in. And there's a saying that the past is a language of regret, which we've looked at. The future is the language of fear, but now is the language of love. And when we're in the past, we've got this separation and it's full of blame, it's full of anger, guilt, shame, resentment and regret. And we tend to cope by numbing and we compensate to join, to be part of. We can become chameleons, you know, trying to be something we're not, just to feel part of. And this gap, we can fill it with food, sugar, gaming, overspending, TV, extreme exercise, gambling. There's any number of obsessive behaviors that we can fill it with. And in the future, the separation, it's it's a gap made of fear, fear that we're not enough. And so we cope through fantasy, perfectionism, grand plans, you know, drive, obsessive control. And so this is a, you know, the summary. You know, we can put food and sugar and gambling and overspending and binge TVs. You know, we can escape into news, gossip, fantasy, social media, YouTube, all the all the things that just take us out of the present moment. And we can drive people crazy with our perfectionism and control. And typically we can bounce back and forth between these two, two states going round and around and around. And to bring it back into the horizontal model, it looks like this. When we're pulled out of the moment, we fill that gap, we numb with these behaviors. But some of us learn to put on the shield and we say, I'm okay, I'm fine. It's just how it is. And our PR departments can take over. And if others see it, something's not right, we still maintain the lie, the lie that I'm fine, that I'm okay. And are we lying to ourselves? And if we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to other people. And these secrets run our lives. And I do believe they can kill us from the inside. And that might seem a little bit melodramatic, but 
these secrets, they do have power over our life and our behaviors and we get into it in the repeated patterns. And one of the hardest things to do is to be really honest about these secrets. And they can run our lives and they can destroy our lives in the extreme situation. So the secrets will kill us from the inside. And there's a spiritual saying that goes, as within, so without, as above, so below. And I believe this is also what it's talking about. As we are on the inside, it will appear on the outside at some point. So obsessive thinking leads to disconnection. And that also causes a dis-ease, a dis-ease with ourselves. And we escape a disease with the present moment. And we numb with chemicals and behaviors. And addictions are typically a symptom but they are deadly. Make no mistake, I'm not trivializing symptoms that are addictions. Addictions are very, very serious and they are deadly, but they are ultimately a symptom of a deeper root cause. And our secrets run our lives and they are exhausting. So just a couple of tips more about reflection. Do we feel disconnected and when? And what do we fill that gap with? when we are disconnected and a tip to reset some of us have morning routines and it really sets us up for the day yet when the day goes sideways we just get taken out of the day the rest of the bad is the rest of the day is bad and you know everything goes to hell in a handbasket yet we can reset at any time of the day it's a really important concept it's not only in the morning so one of the techniques that um, really helped me is I would set an alarm through the day and maybe at three different times at 11 o'clock, 11 a.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m. and, you know, maybe even 7 p.m. at night. And whenever that alarm would go off, I would stop and pause just for a second or two seconds. And if, you know, things were out of control, maybe I'd take three deep breaths and it only takes a few seconds, but it's a reminder that we can reset at any point in the day. So it's just a way to get grounded again. And again, the technique teaches us that we can do it at any moment and it starts to become automatic. The more we do it, the easier it gets. So up next, we're going to look at intolerance, anger and love. Unit three, four and five. Thank you so much. Hope you got something out of that. In the next podcast is obviously going to be units six, seven, and eight in this visual guide to mindfulness. And that looks at intolerance, anger, love, and then we switch gears and start to look into the opportunity to thrive and what thriving really looks like, what that journey actually is. So um, thank you again for your time. If you've got any tips or suggestions, please leave them. We would love to hear about it. And uh, I've left some long outro music that's uh, pretty chill. If you want to listen to that, enjoy. Thank you.